this is a bonus episode. I we don't know when we're gonna release it yet, so whenever you hear it, that's when we decided to release it. Yep. Um, and it is because in episode fourteen, I do the case of the Savopolis Sav, 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 Yep family murders and it's kind of short and to make up for it i wanted to do a bonus case for crystal that was like lighthearted and not as heavy as a 10 year old boy that was tortured to death because uh, and the her jody arias case is a lot so this is the case of this victor Lu- victor lustig you ever heard of him lustig sure lustig is in that german. how you say it yeah in german it means funny okay well this is that makes sense cause that's not his real name <laughs> so this is the story of victor lustig also known as, um, Victor Funny. <laughs> uh, he was born January 4th, 1890, so we're going in the Wayback Machine. Um, and his birth name was Robert V. Miller. I couldn't figure out what his middle name was, but it was V. Was it Victor? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. That would have been smart. He was born in Austria-Hungary, and he dropped out of college to gamble at 19. Um, okay, so he... Why couldn't you just college and gamble? Uh, he spent all his money that was supposed to be for classes on gambling. Mm. And he ended up in debt. Um, but obviously, like, being born in 1890, there's not a ton about his history. And as you'll learn, he's not a super reputable guy. So a lot of what he says is bullshit. So I just have, like, bits and pieces of his past. Um, he had a very notable scar on his face from the jealous boyfriend of a girl he was sleeping with. <laughs> um, so he made a living as a con man and a scammer. So, around college, he changed his name, and I found out that the, uh, the short of, like, a, a con, like, running a con, it's called a confidence trick, because you take advantage of people's basic trust in you to be a good person. Hmm. And so, a con man is a confidence man. I didn't know any of that. I learned all that from Wikipedia. I'm that makes sure. sense. Yeah. So, um, in 1925, he moved from Austria-Hungary to France, and at this point in time, like, it was right before the Great Depression... And even though it was the Roaring Twenties in America, apparently it wasn't so hot in France because the Eiffel Tower was in desperate need of repair. Like, shit was falling apart. And public opinion just wanted to throw the whole thing in the trash. They were like, it's expensive and it's ugly and it doesn't fit in them with the rest of the Paris skyline, just throw it away. Could you imagine Paris without the Eiffel Tower now, though? (laughs) No. So, uh... Say say it one more time. Lustig. Lustig. Okay. So Victor Lustig uh, forged fake government stationery. He gathered up a bunch of scrap metal dealers and told him he was the deputy director of the ministry. Uh, shit, it's in French. Minister French. I know. Ministère de Post uh, de Telegraphs. That's not correct. <laughs> but that's the, the he was the deputy director of the ministry of the, the mail. Basically. He was a big mail carrier. Yeah, basically. He was, um, what do you call it? The, the postmaster general. <laughs> I've but never heard there. of that term in my life. Because it's not used anymore. Okay. It was literally Paul Revere, and then they were like, okay, we're done. No more of that. It was like, we made this position specifically for you. Yeah, once you die, it's over. Uh, and he told men, like, the tower is just too expensive to maintain, and Paris wanted to sell it, and then once it was sold, they could scrap it. Uh, but they didn't want to scrap it themselves. And at the time, like, this made sense, because obviously, like, Paris can't just scrap a public landmark. And so he was like, hey, but this needs to be kept on the down low until a deal is made because the public will freak out. And one of the dealers was 
Andre Poisson. And he showed, like, a keen interest, and he was, like, really listening, and he was, like, ready to put up the money. And so they had a second meeting, and he told him that for a bribe, he could assure that Poisson was the one that the city picked. And Poisson was, like, kind of low-level at this point, and he thought that the scrapping of the Eiffel Tower would make him, like, a big dealer in scrap metal. (laughs) I I don't know why scrap metal was so important in 1925 France. I took French. I didn't take French history. Uh, So, he was like, yeah, I'll pay you a bribe, and paid uh, Lustich the price of the bribe plus the cost of the tower. And so, then, dude thinks that he owns the Eiffel Tower now, and Lustich nopes back to Austria with all the money. I've heard of this one. And he figured that Poisson would be, like, way too embarrassed to say anything, and he was correct. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, he's like, yeah, okay, that was super easy, let's do it again. Went back to France and tried to sell the Eiffel Tower again, but this time one of them called the police and was like, hey, this guy's trying to sell the Eiffel Tower. Pretty sure you can't do that. <laughs> and so the police kind of, um, like, corner him and he fly, uh, flees to the U.S. to avoid jail time. So in the U.S., he settled down, became a nice, law-respecting man, and that's the end of this episode. Except not, because <laughs> once you're a piece of shit, you're always a piece of shit, and this guy wasn't, like, a murdering piece of shit. So just, just a money piece of shit. Yep. So in the U.S., he ran what is called the rumination box scheme. Do you know what any of that is? Nope. All I know about rumination is that it's something a cow does with its bunch of stomachs. Uh, but in in this scheme, he sold a box that could duplicate any currency. Um, but the catch was that the box needed six hours. So you put a hundred dollar bill in, you operate all these gears and levers inside, and you put a piece of paper in this other slot, and it like prints another exact copy of a hundred bill on a regular piece of paper right Mm -hmm. but it takes six hours so uh that he would have his like marks give him a a certain denomination of bill he'd be like give me one hundred dollars he would run a hundred dollars to the machine and be like okay in six hours i will have another hundred dollars completely identical to that one that we can take to um to the the bank and they will completely verify it that it's a real hundred dollar bill Turns out he just put another $100 bill inside, and it just spit out the same $100 bill. And so they would go to the bank, you know, he would, they would swipe it, they'd be like, yes, this is real money. Okay, awesome. Of course, the person would then buy the box for thousands of dollars because it prints money. Mm -hmm. And Lustich would put a bunch of dollars in it, like 20s, 100s, and fucking flee. So by the time they realized, hey, this shit is fake and doesn't work, he's gone. So... The most notable person that he ran this on was a, um, it was this, like, sheriff of a a Texas, a Texas sheriff, and he conned him out of thousands of dollars and then skipped down to Chicago. And so the sheriff was like, um, no, and followed him all the way to Chicago. But you remember how I said that he was a confidence man and he preyed on people's basic notions of trust. He told the sheriff, oh, no, you're using it wrong. I am so sorry that you are too stupid to use this machine. Here, give me it back, and I will give you, like, the equivalent of what you spent on it, plus what you spent coming all the way to Chicago to track me down in money, and then, like, we'll be even, right? And the sheriff was like, oh, what a nice guy. <laughs> Turns out, gave him completely fake money. <laughs> From a machine? <laughs> no, just extra fake money that he was making on the side, which is called loose dish money now. <laughs> um, and so he was like, yeah. My bad. And so now it's the Great Depression, and nobody's buying Lustich's, um, 
you know, rumination box because it's too shady for him to sell it again because he knows it doesn't work. So instead he's like, you know what? I'm going to con Al Capone. <laughs> so he goes up to Al Capone and he's like, hey, buddy, I got this really good deal, but I'm going to need $50,000 down. And then, like, I can make you a millionaire. And Al Capone's like, yeah, sure. Okay, here's $50,000. If it doesn't work, I'll murder you. Yeah. Um, which is what Al Capone did. I don't know if you guys know about him. Go back to all the way to episode one in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. He really liked to murder people. And so Lucish was like, yeah, okay. But then he just put the $50,000 in a safe deposit box and forgot about it. And then, like, a year later, he went back to Al Capone and said, hey, the the scheme rant, like, fell through. Um, you know, I didn't make any money off of it, but here's your $50,000 back. You know, like, I'm so sorry uh, but I made sure that you made your money back. But I made nothing to live on. I'm so poor now and I'm destitute and homeless. And Al Capone was like, hmm, what is this? A trustworthy man? Here's $5,000. And Loose Dish was like, cool. And noped the fuck out. <laughs> um, so then in 1930, around the same time where he's scamming Al Capone out of uh, $5,000, he partners up with two men from Nebraska, a pharmacist and a chemist. And they helped him engrave plates... Yeah, a chemist. I said chemist. Mm -hmm. Whatever. I wrote chemist. Um, and they engraved plates to make counterfeit bills that would be like exact copies <coughs> of real bills. And so this is what is now known as loose dish money. And they circulated thousands of dollars into like the American economy and like they were already in the midst of the Great Depression and this really like did a hit on the economy because there wasn't really any money circulating in the first place and now what was circulating was fake. <laughs> Um, so he would, he, at this time, it was him and this dude named Shaw, and I forget what the other guy's name, but Shaw was the chemist, and he had a mistress on the side, obviously, because what con man didn't, that was, like, his whole game was lying to people. So, um, his mistress found out that he was sleeping with the chemist's mistress, and she called the FBI, because you remember how apparently everybody has the FBI's phone number except me? <laughs> Yeah, that, again. Um, so they captured him, and he blamed his cohorts and was like, no, I knew nothing about this. Like, they were doing something shady. They just tried to pin it on me. She's just mad that I cheated on her as she should be, you know. And they were like, yeah, okay. But then they were frisking him down, and they found a key. And they were like, what does this key go to? He was like, oh, I don't know. And so they identified the key. Turns out it went to a Times Square subway, like, locker. And so they go and open the locker, and can you guess what they found? Mm, a box. $51,000 in counterfeit money. And they went, yeah, okay, sure. You didn't know nothing about it. But the day before his trial, Lustish escaped from the federal house of detention. So he was like, oh, I'm really sick, I'm really sick. And they took him to the, the infirmary. And then in the infirmary, uh, he climbed out a window. And he was on the run for 27 days, and I couldn't find much about what he did in those 27 days, but he was recaptured he ran, in Pittsburgh. didn't you hear? He was uh, on the run. He ran for yeah. 27 days. 27 days straight. He actually took a Greyhound and never actually even left the station. <laughs> yeah. Um, he sat in line for 27 days. So he was recaptured in Pittsburgh and then went to trial and pled guilty. But he was sentenced to 15 years for counterfeiting and then five years for escaping prison. <laughs> Which is, escaping prison is one-third as bad as making fake money. Yeah. And destroying the economy. Yeah. Like, single-handedly. Um, so he was held at Alcatraz, and on March 9th, 
1947, he contracted pneumonia. And he died two days later. So sad. And he was really only, like, three years out from getting out of jail. Mm-hmm. So that kind of sucks. But he didn't leave us with nothing. He left us with the Ten uh, Commandments for being a good con man. And I think these are also the Ten Commandments for being a good podcaster. <laughs> are you ready? Sure. Be a patient listener. Okay. Never look bored. Wait for the other person to reveal political opinions and then agree with them. <laughs> wait for the other person to reveal, uh, oh, wait for the other person to reveal religious opinions and then agree with them. Hint at sex, but don't follow it up unless interested. <laughs> Never discuss illness. Never pry into any personal circumstances because they'll tell you anyway. Never boast. Never be untidy. And never get drunk. (laughs) So, I thought this episode would be a little longer than it was, but that was a a super mini episode on Victor Lustig. You could call this episode Funny Money, which is also the story of the origin of the term Funny Money. That's what I learned. Yeah. Um, So, thanks for listening. We'll probably put this up the same week that we put up the Greyhound episode, because it's literally ten minutes. That's too much bonus. I know people aren't even going to watch the first bonus, so, like... Okay, well, then we can put it up next week. Yeah. We'll spread it out. We're not morbid. It's just literally 15 minutes long. <laughs> we'll see you with our full length, uh, n- the next Thursday to when you're hearing this. Oh, um, damn it. Hold on. My brother's calling me. Why? Hello. My brother's trying to find my mom at her job, but this is, like, one of the first years she hasn't worked at Cracker Barrel, so he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> okay. You want to do our socials or no? Yeah. Okay. No, do them. If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can do that at This Week in Time. If you want to nope. help out the... Sh- you said This Week in Time. Oh, if you want to follow us on Instagram, you can do that at This Week in Crime. <laughs> if you want to help out the show, you can do that on... Um, you can review us on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at This Week in Crime. Send us emails at thisweekincrime at gmail.com. You can interact with us. Probably not on Tumblr. Would not recommend it at thisweekincrime.tumblr.com. Next week we're not even going to put in our socials, to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean. It might as well deactivate. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Nobody's listening. It's fine. Nobody uses Tumblr anyway. That's true. Ever since the porn left is over. That, that's true. Um, I want to make us a WordPress so that we can have a website, mm-hmm. but I'm too dumb. So. Whatever. Bye. See you in the next Thursday. That's not 